Thank you to 12th Street Sound for sponsoring today's episode. If you're an artist and you want your next recordings to stand up to the best of the best, you need to learn more about 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in my home city, New Westminster, BC. 12th Street provides the value and bang for your buck that you can only get from a boutique studio. That's why I keep choosing Anthony Senarini at 12th Street Sound as my recording and mix engineer for my own music, released as William Chernoff. Anthony and the team are collectors and restoration specialists obsessed with music and recording equipment. When I go into the studio, I get more than just great service. I get the space to craft my story as an artist. You deserve the same as you work on your new music for 2022. Whether you need pre-production, tracking, mixing, or full production services, check out 12th Street Sound today and tell Anthony about your next project. Learn more at 12thstreet.ca. That's 12thst.ca. This was the end of 94. It was snowing that day. And I remember slipping on the on the sidewalk outside. I landed on my <laughs> on my back pretty softly in the snow. It's, it's Regina. And looking up at the snow coming down and just thinking, wow, what am I going to do next? Like, what a situation I've got myself into. Hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Will Chernoff, and you're listening to the Rhythm Changes podcast, a home for creative, improvising, local music people. With Rhythm Changes, we're striving to make the best possible interview show about a music scene. So if you're joining us for the first time, whether from Vancouver, BC, elsewhere in Canada, or across the world, get involved today with a visit to our website, rhythmchanges.ca. Our guest today has worked as a session vocalist, as a recording artist under his own name, and as a choral singer, and he released his latest album, I Will, on November 26, 2021. You can hear him perform with Bill Kuhn on guitar and Rene Wurst on bass at Frankie's on Sunday, January 23rd, or at the Second Floor Gastown on Sunday, February 6th. And you can find his album for sale at carmenjprice.bandcamp.com. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Carmen J. Price. Thanks so much for having me, Will. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, I want to first ask about the Beatles. The title track of your album, I Will, is a Beatles song. Yeah. I need to know, because of that, who your favorite Beatle is. If I had to pick one, it's probably Paul. That's definitely where my sensibilities lie, for sure. My daughter's favorite is probably Ringo. <laughs> oh, yeah. So all the Beatles songs are credited to both Lennon and McCartney, right? The ones that were written by either one of them. So That's right. Do you know who wrote that particular song, I Will? That one would be a Paul song, yeah, for sure. One of my favorite sound. tunes from uh, Hard Day's Night, If I Fell, which you'd think is totally a Paul song, is apparently a John song. Oh, okay. Also a really lovely, melodic tune, one of my faves. Other than that Beatles song, how did you choose the repertoire for this album? Some of them would have been in my book already for a number of years. A few I specifically chose because there was some connection to my wedding day. The album, I Will, was recorded on the, the occasion of my 10th wedding anniversary, and it sort of uh, acts as a sequel of sorts to my first album, I Do, which was recorded as a surprise wedding gift for my wife. I managed to record it without her knowing, presented it, you know, the box of CDs, had it brought to Heritage Hall where we got married. And during this, the wedding reception, I sprung it on her. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And anyway, so 10 years have gone by and I just, I thought it, would, it was time to 
pastime to to do a follow-up. So there's a couple of tunes on the album that relate to my wedding day. The uh, the opening tune, Just In Time, was our recessional song. We had the wonderful Jennifer Scott, my dear friend, sing us down the aisle. There's a tune the great Tommy Wolf wrote, uh, this really cute song called You Smell So Good, and that's the song that we sang to each other. Uh, <laughs> I love that. We, we sang it during the reception. Yes. We figured, well, we couldn't sing anything. You know, we, like, we barely got through the ceremony without crying in the first place. We certainly were not going to be able to sing something to each other. So we sang this silly song at the reception, and, uh, and then, so that was a lot of fun. And one song that hadn't been in my book at that time, but I just fell in love with it on the day was That's All. During the reception, we had a bit of an open jam. So we had a few people come up to sing and call a tune with the band. And Kate Hammett Vaughn, my dear friend, called the tune That's All. And I knew it on the day. I I knew it before, but man, those lyrics really hit very differently on that day, on my wedding day. And and I, I just thought, oh, that's a great, great tune. Yeah, I want to talk about Bill Kuhn because we know him, we love him. He's one of the most treasured jazz musicians around. And you have had Bill as a band member for a while. And I think that's a rather enviable position. So what is it like having Bill Kuhn as a band member? Oh, it is a very enviable position. It's fantastic. He's really one of the greatest accompanists. Like he's, you know, he's so much more than an accompanist. He really works with such a great musician to work with singers you know, because he has so much experience, but he's also, because he's a great arranger and composer himself, he's just, his mind works on so many different levels at the same time, and he's just such a, you know, he's such a sweet cat. I would have loved to have asked him to arrange some things, but his arranger's ear is always going, you know, he'd gently suggest, you know, I, I kind of like this little chord sequence here this in this turnaround, or, or how about we do this for an intro, and it's always just so tasty, and it's really, really wonderful. I'd, yeah, I definitely feel so fortunate to get to make music with him at any at any level yeah so then i'm curious about rene too because one of the great guests that i had in the previous year of the podcast was darlene cooper and bill sample with Mm -hmm. their group wild blue herons and bill and darlene have had some playing history with rene too so how'd you start playing with rene i think i probably would have played with him for the first time with jen scott i think she might have hired me for a gig there was a time where she was running a, an after-work sort of happy hour thing at the Vancouver Club, which is this very fancy place downtown to pay a membership to belong, and Wednesday nights, 5 to 7, and we'd play. So she was in charge of, she'd, she'd play there, but she was also in charge of curating the and, and asking some of her friends to come and play as well. So she asked me, I think it was probably my first gig with them, and he's just such a great guy and such a great hang. He's got the best stories. If you ever get a chance to have him here in this in this room, you'll have to do like a two-part episode. He's just got the best the best stories. I knew his name before I even moved here because I knew that he was in the band Skywalk. And so, you know, just seeing his name, I knew he was a heavy, heavy cat. But, you know, after getting to, to work with him and getting to know him, he's just such a great, generous musician, just a sweet, sweet person. I count myself so lucky to to have him in my musical life. Yeah. So let's take it back several years and let's think about moving here because you brought it up and I'm really curious about that. So you moved from Regina, Saskatchewan to here yeah. in the early 2000s and you enrolled at Capilano University as me and many of my guests have been to as students as a vocalist. So what was Capilano University like in the early 2000s? I was 28 at the time. I came sort of in the middle of the semester. It was January 2001. It was a really good time for me to to come here. My brother, my younger brother, Lane Price, was going there. 
I would talk to him on the phone and he's like, man, this is for you. You should be here. And I was, I was working at a dinner theater at the time in Regina, this place called Applause Feast and Folly. And I was just thinking, you know, what was next? Not even that I was so interested in becoming like a soloist or a, like a jazz artist or anything like that. But I, I just wanted to do something to tune up my ears, just, you know, to maybe go somewhere to get some more musical education. I think I had in mind that I wanted to be like a background singer or a side player more than anything. Like I remember thinking, you know, seeing videos of James Taylor in concert and thinking, well, how could I be, you know, one of his background singers? Not necessarily James Taylor, but I'm like, okay, David Lasley, one of his background singers. I'm like, how do I get that gig? Like, how do you be him? Like, you know, lots of people would want to be, you know, I want to be a music star. I want to write my own songs. I'm like, no, no, I want to be like David Lasley. That's a really be... interesting question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do you do that? Like, how do you get your musicianship up enough or get to know people so that you're in the position to get that call? I'm wondering now what you think about that. What are the skills that you need to be a successful background singer at the highest level. What do you think? I, I think you just need to pursue anything that's interesting to you. If you have a chance to take the opportunity to pursue it, you should do so. I was glad to, you know, get that theory happening and my ear training especially. You know, for a vocalist, it's, that's just absolutely paramount importance. I had so many good experiences, you know, doing, just learning a lot of, a lot of rep really fast, especially getting to be in Nightcap, the vocal group with uh, Rajan Merwa at the helm there. You know, we learned a lot of tough stuff and had to do it very quickly. So I ended up learning just how to make it happen or just put in the extra hours. And the more I would do it and the more new music, the more charts I'd attack, then it you know, would become easier. I ended up, of course, singing choral music. So that's been a sight reading and, and ear training experience just in and of itself. And that's been a big part of my life the last 20 years for sure. Yeah. So a couple more questions about the album. One of them has to do with your influences. And when I was checking out who you name as your influences on your website, carmenjprice.com or on your Bandcamp, you talk about Nat Cole. And that's funny because I have a friend who was actually the first ever guest on the Rhythm Changes podcast, Ilhan Safarali, who's mm. younger than me and he lives in New York. He felt like Nat Cole was kind of underappreciated by people of our generation maybe and he was wondering who out there are the young jazz musicians that are influenced by nat king cole so was he a big influence on you as a vocalist and what do you love about him i remember when i was just getting into jazz and buying jazz albums like in late 80s early 90s his daughter natalie cole had a huge success with her album unforgettable where she did you know a whole album of tunes that were mostly associated with him and did that one virtual duet with him as well that's an album I learned a lot of those songs from. But listening to Nat King Cole, he's definitely a musician where just as a singer, he's been, you know, a big influence on me, his impeccable taste. And I think people don't, because most of the famous recordings are of his later years, unless you really are paying attention, you don't realize like what a, an influential pianist he was. And like, he was a big influence on Oscar Peterson. And if you hear some of those recordings from like Jazz at the Philharmonic, there's, you know, a number of famous recordings from those years where he was playing with all these heavy cats, and he's just tearing it up. Like, if he didn't sing at all, he would have been a very famous jazz musician that would be deeply influential instead of being more to singing than playing. But yeah, I, he's a big influence in that he just, his art was just so, so tasty and, and swinging. And yeah, it's hard to describe exactly how he made it look so easy. And he's been a big influence on people that I was listening to for the first time when I was just getting into jazz like Diana Krall, 
who released this great album called uh, All For You, that's an all Nat King Cole tribute, and John Pizzarelli, who's one of my huge favorites, who's like deeply influenced yeah. by Nat King Cole, all like, you know, he's done a few specific Nat records, but, you know, he's he's in every note he plays, for sure. Yeah, um, somebody else who excels both singing and on his instrument, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, John Pizzarelli is uh, another one that I really dig where... He just chooses such good songs too. Every time he's um, he has a new record out, I was um, interested to know what he's recorded and like the kind of standards that he likes to to do. I mean, he also he's a child of '70s pop music, and so he's done a, recently a, an all Paul McCartney tribute album, like post Beatles stuff. He's also done a Beatles album, and there was one cool album he did called Double Exposure that has has a Billy Joel song on it and James Taylor he's he's John Pizzarelli's actually worked with him so that's a lot of of stuff touchstones that are that hit me right where I live but has John Pizzarelli ever sang backing vocals for James Taylor uh yeah yeah <laughs> he 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 plays well maybe he doesn't sing on that he plays guitar on uh on this track called Mean Old Man from oh, October cool. Road album from 2002 and has worked with him a couple of times yeah so yeah so David Sekula at Demitone Studios recorded and mixed and mastered your album. He took care of all the audio production. I've worked with him on one of my projects too called Quartet Reunion. So what was your experience working with Dave Sekula? Oh, fabulous. I, I've always enjoyed him just as a player, but I had never had a chance to work with him myself. Him being such a good musician himself, his ears are, are wide open. And I mean, the way we recorded it, it was just, you know, sort of one day I tried to make it a little uh, smoother than the last time. The, when I when we recorded I Do, it was very quick. I, I just sort of booked four hours and we ended up, I just thought, oh, I don't know. I, I didn't have much experience, you know, being in the studio or anything. So I thought, well, we'll just I'll book four hours and see what we can get done. We ended up recording 13 tunes that day in 2011. Definitely felt like a bit of a grind at the, at the end. So I, I wanted it to be a little easier than that. So we, I did fewer tunes, a little longer. Yeah, it ended up being a really good day. So Dave took all the mixing and mastering and it's just been a, a delight to work with. Okay, so one more time for the people in the back. On your first album, I Do, you did 13 tracks in four hours? <laughs> <laughs> we, we did, yeah. I, I'm not sure why, we, why I, I felt that that was necessary, but uh, I just sort of kept going and I probably just did all the ones I had in, I had in mind. I, I, we did take a bit of a break after two and a half hours, like just you know to sit and have a drink and, and everything, but we just wanted to see. Uh, what we could get done that we recorded that at Brad Turner's studio and he was so nice. He um, did that all the mixing and, uh, and everything for that. And in fact, he, on the day when I got there, he was like, I just wanted to say, cause I was, you know, the, the wedding was like in a month, like it, it, the turnaround time was crazy, crazy quick. Wow. Like a month and a bit to like having an actual CD in my hand on the wedding day. So when I got there, Brad had everything set up and he says, you don't have to say yes. He says, but I just thought if you were into it, I'd be happy to, uh, as a wedding present, to play on a few tracks if that that fits your vibe. And I was like, yes, that would be absolutely fantastic. So he actually plays on two of the tracks uh, on that first album on um, The Touch of Your Lips and the last track, When Lights Are Low. So that was a a big highlight for me for that experience. So one of the things that I noticed was on the first track of your new album i will just in time it talks about a relationship but some of the lyrics kind of talk about overcoming doubt i think that's an important topic for musicians so can you talk about how you deal with the self-doubt that comes with being a music student so i graduated high school in 1990 and then 
after that, I actually took a few extra classes just to sort of, I wasn't ready to sort of leave the nest. But fall of 91, I, I started a music education degree. And I remember like the guidance counselor who was, you know, trying to help us decide what to study, you know, what to do later after high school, saying, well, just think about the subjects that, that you have that, uh, that you really like the best. Like if you are, are really into physics, you could, you know, study engineering or, or science or, or anything like that. And, and I was thinking, subjects I like the best. Well, really, the only subjects that I really love are just being in choir and band and, and drama. And uh, I can't be in choir for a living, can I? I mean, <laughs> as it turns out, I sort wow. of have been. <laughs> but I, that's what I thought. And I thought, well, I, you know, I don't want to, I didn't think that I should just study, continue to study music and just be a, have some idea of being a performer. I, I couldn't quite picture how that would work. So I I thought, well, being a teacher, that's that's something that people do. It's something responsible. So I entered the University of Regina and did a year. It was kind of limped to the finish that first year. Took another, took a year off, and uh, and then came back and and finished. Did this one education class. I had to do it twice. And then on my third year, I finally got got around to the second year education class. That was sort of a mini practicum. Like I was doing fine in all the the music classes mostly, but again, it was doing classical stuff that I was, you know, not as skilled at at the time. And the education class, the the practicum, this is where we actually spend a, like a day in a an actual classroom. So I remember going, having to prepare lessons and every Wednesday morning, it was Wednesdays, I remember getting to this, to this elementary school in Regina at like eight o'clock and going into the teacher's lounge and, and going over my poorly prepared you know, notes and lesson plan and just feeling ill and like just having such a terrible time. And I, I put so much effort into that class that I sort of let my other classes fall by the wayside. And I ended up failing everything and including this one, the, like this big class that was, it was just pass fail. So you didn't get a grade at the end of it. You're just like, we recommend you to go on to the next year. And I remember being in the class with my, or in the room with my professor, you know, we had sort of a one-on-one at the end of the end of the semester. And she, uh, she told me that I didn't pass. And I remember just, okay, well, that makes, you know, that makes sense. That's, I, I would do that too. And, and, and just sort of talking with her like very calmly, but then I was also, you know, I was, my, my eyes were welling up and she could tell that I was really upset. And I remember her asking me, is, is someone, she goes, I don't want to get into this, but, uh, is someone at home making you do this? Or <laughs> I said, Whoa. well, no. But I just, I don't know what else to do. I guess I couldn't picture what else there was for, for me. Oh, and I remember like leaving that day. This was the end of 94. It was snowing that day. And I remember slipping on the, on the sidewalk outside and I landed on my, <laughs> on my back pretty softly in the snow. It's, it's Regina. And looking up at the snow coming down and just thinking, wow, what, what am I going to do next? Like what a situation I've got myself into. It ended up being a good thing for me to do this dinner theater thing for the next couple of years. I did a few shows the summer of 94 and then continued on. I ended up doing 16 shows there over the course of those seven years. And it actually was a really good experience because, you know, I ended up having to learn lots of different kinds of music. The, uh, like the run would go, would go for two months and each show is like, like it's a very specific parameters. So it'd have to be two acts. You'd have to have in each act, you'd have to have some contrivance where you bring up somebody from the audience and so lots of improv throughout and it have to be like five or six people in the cast 
and each one was themed like so like one show would be at all country theme one sh- one show would be all 50s music or some guy who's an elvis impersonator for some reason i don't know that ha- that that turned out a lot but then we did a couple of more interesting ones later on there was a folk music one and one where we were in las vegas so just sort of uh we could do almost anything in that one but doing lots of different kinds of music was a really good experience the music director dave shabbat just a such a, a positive influence on my life he's a if there's anything you can take from this whole interview is, is, is for you to look up Dave Shabbat. And he plays with, with the Jack Semple Band in Regina. And he's a fabulous, fabulous bass player, fabulous singer, plays great guitar. And during these years when he was the music director at Applause, when we had a live band, he, was the, he, would, he would do that. And then there was a bunch of years where we did all, all recorded tracks. So he did all the, all the tracks. And then in our rehearsal period, like he would be the one that would teach us everything. So I just got so much from him. And he was actually the one at the end of it in the fall of 2000, when I had to do my audition, I didn't come out to Vancouver to do my audition for cap. He actually, I recorded it in his home studio and he did it all for me. Like he, I didn't know what I was, should be doing for this audition. I, I picked two standards. I picked uh, almost like being in love and my romance. And I just sort of handed them to him. I didn't have sheet music. So he just lifted them from the recordings that I gave him. And he was just so great. And such a great guy, Dave Shabbat. Love you, man. <laughs> oh, I will do that for sure. I will check him out. So that is kind of the period where you dealt with a whole bunch of things and you ended up here. And yeah. This is probably something that you've done in the ensuing years, like a part of your career since you've been living and working in the Vancouver area is you have experience recording jingles and working on commercials and i have never interviewed somebody who has done that so can you talk at all about (laughs) what that is like uh i haven't done that that much here i I did a bit in regina oh okay Um, okay yeah i i think you could probably talk to somebody who's done who has a little bit more experience doing that like steve maddock or uh it i I think definitely the glory years of like going into other people's studios doing jingles is is gone they used to they used to do like you i think back in the 80s and 90s you could be like a jingle singer or backup singer and do a lot of studio work throughout the year but i think most people do that in-house these days yeah but i definitely i have memories of doing like very on the fly sort of vocal harmonies in in studios, you know, in some situations and doing a couple of things like just spoken ads as well for Sastel and various other other things that I did. So that was something you did during this period where you were finding your way. Another thing that was yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things I got from uh, from my time in applause is because, you know, I'm more of a introverted type of person. So being forced to do the the theater thing and particularly dinner theater where you have to do improv basically the whole night. Like, and we served the patrons the dinner like in character and took their orders and everything like that. By the end, I was doing all like, I would do the, the opening speech and the closing speech. And then during dinner in the inter- intermission part, uh, we'd also like anybody that had a birthday, we'd get them up and do some ridiculous thing with them. And I was doing all that stuff. And I, I looking back now, I can hardly believe that I had that much energy to <laughs> to do all that stuff but it uh, it was really good to to have that experience so that like now when i have to do you know solo gigs at frankie's or wherever I'm, i feel comfortable introducing tunes and talking about myself and the music and whatever and just being in in front of an audience um cory actually got me to MC uh, a bunch over the years as well both at at the cellar and at frankie's so i feel pretty comfortable talking in front of an audience. And I think I have uh, my years at applause to thank for that, for sure. 
speaking of performing in front of a live audience, so when you do your gigs coming up at Frankie's at the second floor gas town, what else is in your book? What else are you going to play in addition to the repertoire that's on the album, I Will? Well, I'd, I always like to get a chance to uh, play some extra stuff. I'll do stuff from the album for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of choice standards that I like to do. I like to do some uh, sort of instrumental pieces as well. Like a, one drag about being a singer in jazz is that you rarely get called to be a, a side player, to, to right. be a sideman. And one of my favorite songs that I like to do is Dave Frischberg's uh, I Want to Be a Sideman, where he sings... Uh, I want to sleep in the afternoons and let the leader call all the tunes. I want to be young. I want to have fun. I want to be a side man. This is another <laughs> thing I have to check out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, like you never get a chance to, like if you're always a bass player or a sax player, I'd get, you know, you get a call. Hey, I want you to, I've got this project. I want you to be in my band for this gig or whatever. And you rarely, you basically never, that never happens. It, it seems like maybe there's a bit of a trend. I want to like just put it out there. Maybe this would be a, a trend for creative jazz musicians like Jody Prosnick with her recent uh, Sun Songs album where she, you know, came up with all this repertoire and wrote these lyrics, you know, a few with uh, with some co-writers, but, you know, it's very much a very personal artistic statement that she's made on her album. And Amanda Tosoff's uh, recent yes, two albums. Earth Voices yeah, and Words. Yeah. Where she's got this, this recent Earth Voices album in particular is just an amazing piece of work. It's got her typical great compositions and arrangements and everything but she's got a real amazing all-star cast of vocal of her favorite vocalists in toronto and it's a terrific project anyway if that can be a continued trend for like creative writers in in jazz to uh to do their own thing and like, hire other vocalists i'm definitely in favor of that idea <laughs> you're talking about somebody who's primarily an instrumentalist who puts together a vocal project yeah yeah, yeah. also as a composer yeah definitely that would yeah. be very cool to be part of something that's, you know, some new tunes, some new compositions or whatever. You know, if somebody's like decided if Bill wanted to do, you know, a tribute to, to Nat King Cole or whoever, and, and he didn't have Denzel Sinclair around, he's like, oh, we should do this show. And Carmen, you want to, Steve also isn't around. And <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I seem to get a lot of gigs because Steve Maddox not available, but <laughs> <laughs> um, in those situations, I would love to be uh, to be on the. That I, I think I am on the list anyway. That was the goal when I moved here twenty years ago: is to just be in, be in in somebody's mind of like if we need a, you know, a vocalist for for this, then uh, I want people to have me in mind anyway. To get on the list, yeah, yeah. I want to close by talking about movies because you have been to film festivals, you've blogged about movies, you were enchanted by going to the theater as a kid. So I know you have this love of movies and I know that you said you even used to like keep track of all the movies you saw and rated them. So like how has your <laughs> life as a movie fan been going in the recent years? <laughs> well, recently, you know, when, once parenthood hit, it's definitely... Um, it changes a, the kind of movies, right? <laughs> it it take, took a bit of a turn. Like at, my wife and I were big movie fans and like for our honeymoon, we went to the Telluride Film Festival and saw over that Labor Day weekend, we saw, I think, 14 films. Nice. Um, and we always would uh, try what's called the uh, the Oscar death race. So when the Oscar nominations come out and then you've got four or six weeks to, to try watch and watch not just the best picture or the acting nominees but like everything like all the shorts all the nominees know, nominees for costume design sound whatever huh. never quite did you know did it but you know out of like 55 nominees we could usually get within you know 10 or 15 something like that and we haven't really of course since becoming parents that hasn't really been <laughs> something we've been able to accomplish but the last few years we've been able to get back into at least watching all the best picture nominees 
yeah, I'm, I'm just a huge movie fan. One of my big things that I love is is having I'm still attached to the cable. We haven't cut the cut the cord, and so I we subscribe to uh, TCM Turner Classic Movies. So I'm always watching older older films, and uh, I'm always fascinated by, especially the getting to see movies where some of the standards that I love come from originally. Right. Like especially if it's if it's something that's really off the beaten path, like. Uh, there's a movie called Sun Valley Serenade where Chattanooga Choo Choo comes from and it's set in a sort of a ski resort and Harry Warren wrote all the songs for this for this movie. So the song's called I Know Why and So Do You and it's just it just sort of glancingly mentions snowfall and things like that. So I, I love including a song like that in like my Christmas repertoire. So like Violets for Your Furs and uh, there's this real rarity that I heard uh, Cecile McLaren Solvent do called It's Easy to Blame the Weather. And the only other recording I could find was Billie Holiday. And that's probably where she got it. But it's a real choice, uh, Saul Chaplin, Sammy Contune, uh, that again, it's just talking about snowflakes and, and things like that. So it's a great off-kilter choice for a Christmas show. <laughs> I love nice. that. Well, Carmen, you have a lot of personality as a singer. I really enjoyed your album. And thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for asking me. This has been a great honor and I hope to do it again sometime. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you haven't followed the show yet, make sure you do and tell your friends who might enjoy listening too. Link them to our website, rhythmchanges.ca, Facebook at Chernoff Music, or Instagram and Twitter at Rhythm Changes BC. The Rhythm Changes podcast is a Chernoff Music production. See show notes for full production credits. Copyright 2022, Chernoff Music.